on the home stretch now. First Thessalonians 5:18, and I've really enjoyed going through the book of First Thessalonians. I have learned more this time than any other time I taught it, and any other time I sat and got taught it. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the Bible. And you know, if we didn't have the Bible, I guess we'd have to try to preach from memory, amen. <laughs> but if you didn't have the Bible as a Christian, what would you do? You're starting to think what a, what a bedrock. I mean, it's, it holds everything together. First uh, Thessalonians 5.18, uh, we'll start there. But let's pray. Father, we sure love you. And Father, we come before the throne of grace. And Father, we need help. And Father, we need uh, uh, mercy at this time. And Father, I come before you, Lord, just, uh, just an unprofitable servant. Lord, unless you put uh, something on me, Lord, I just, without the Holy Spirit's help, Lord, I'm nothing but ignorant and I'm wicked. And I'm sinful, and Father, I need you to intercede for me at this time and give these people the sense of the Scriptures. And Father, I pray you strengthen them uh, through the Word of God. Father, I pray now you bless your Word and every preacher that's around this country that's preaching. Lord, I pray that you give them unction and give them power. And Father, Lord, I know there's still a handful of people still holding up the old King James Bible. Father, would you bless them tonight? And all the people that visited us this morning that might still be traveling uh, on the way home, Father, thank you, Lord, for a great day this morning in the church house. And, Father, would you please come back soon and get us out of here. Uh, Father, we've had enough of this old world, and if you have more for us to do, that's fine. But, Father, we pray and we beg of thee to come back and get us out of this old world. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, First Thessalonians chapter 5, we'll just pick right up in verse 18. The Bible says, in everything, Paul says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We hit it this morning in Sunday school, and then we hit it a little bit harder in the morning service. But this is the will of God right here for you, that you give thanks in everything. That's the good, and that's the not so good. Amen? Everything. Pretty simple, isn't it? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You look at that thing. Paul sure makes, seems to make it difficult, doesn't he? He he doesn't, uh, it seems like he don't give you any easy verses here on, this, uh, on, the, on the way out here. And he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Take your Bible, go to Romans chapter 1. I want to show you, I don't know, most of you all know this already. But I want you, I want you to see this uh, very practical application. What you're looking at in Romans chapter 1 is the authentic history of mankind. And uh, this thing's written on the wall. And, of course, it's a reference to lost mankind, but you can pick up the application on it. Romans chapter 1, and you get over to verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. The Bible says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. It's like your Bible correctors, amen? It's all your professors who think they're smarter than God, want to change God's word, then try to change that thing. God's, again, that stuff, look at verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. Why? For God showed it unto them. <laughs> you see, there's nothing that you know today that God didn't show you. How's that? If you know anything about this book, if you know anything about the wonders of creation, you know anything about science, anything about mathematics, anything about geometry, anything about uh, trigonometry and physics, it's because God showed you. Amen? Even every lost man knows what they know why. God showed it to them. You see that? Look at, uh, you got 20, it says at the end of the verse, uh, so forth and so on, they're without excuse. You see that? 
Every person that's alive that can see the sun come up and can feel the warmth of the sun, even if they can't see it, but they can feel the warmth of the sun, knows that sun comes up every morning, the sun goes down every day. It's a picture of Jesus Christ coming back. And the Bible says, through the witness of creation itself, they're without excuse. Without excuse. Look at 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Neither were they thankful but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. In verse 22 all the way to 32, it goes, as they would say, off the rails and downhill quick, doesn't it? But in verse 21, man is brought face to face with what? The goodness of God. You see that? Many times in your Christian life, you're brought face to face with the goodness of God. And you have a choice. When you're brought face to face with God's goodness, you have a choice. You say, what's the choice? Are you going to glorify Him in it or not? And if you glorify Him, you pass the test. And if you don't, guess what goes next? Your thankfulness. And you ever catch yourself? I know I've caught myself around, you know, Thanksgiving time is, you know, is a time where the whole country says they're thankful one day and killing each other the next, you know. But uh, Thanksgiving, you, you say, well, it's a worldly holiday. Help yourself. It's a good checkup. Are you thankful? Well, yeah, I'm thankful. You thankful in everything? Well, not really. You know, there's, there's those things. Why is that? Well, the Bible says because there's a point in time God was good for you and you didn't glorify Him over it. So you got a choice as a Christian. If you recognize that you might be unthankful about maybe your family, maybe your uh, finances, maybe what you're at, the place in life, you just stop and think about it. Have I been glorifying the Lord the way I should? If not, you're unthankful. And that thing from that point, then it starts to transcend and deceive your heart, your imagination, your foolish heart goes dark from there so forth and so on, and down the deep, dark rabbit hole you go. What are you saying? I'm saying the key to thankfulness is glorifying God when He's good to you. Amen? Not just when you're desperate. And that's, I would say that's what a lot of times Christians, they praise the Lord when they're desperate. <laughs> he really come through for me. I don't praise the Lord. And then like we said this morning, the sun comes out, the, sun, uh, the clouds roll away, and we quit praying. We quit being thankful about the thing. So you got a choice. You be thankful, and you be thankful and you glorify Him, you pass the test, and if you don't glorify God when His goodness is shown to you, you, you stop being thankful. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, in everything, give thanks. You say, well, what does it mean to glorify God? All right, well, how can you just praise Him? It means to praise Him, to honor Him. It means to uh, extol, acknowledge, with due admiration. Amen? Just like when you married a wife, the Bible says you're supposed to render on her due benevolence. That means she deserves your kindness, not your big lip. Amen. And you're supposed to give her due kindness, due benevolence. You know, the Lord is due our admiration. David said, I will praise the Lord for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. You ever sit on the back porch or on a chair in the back somewhere and look at the stars and just get mesmerized by their beauty? And every once in a while you're heading to work and you see one of them shooting stars go, pew, and you're like, I saw that. Nobody else saw it, you know. Seven million people probably saw it, but you, you claim you're the only one that saw it. And you couldn't find it again if you saved your life, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you just go, man, God had to do that. And uh, I'm telling you what, when you give him his due admiration, you'll be thankful. You'll be thankful. You pass the test. One of the tests for our generation is Christians aren't very thankful anymore. They're failing. You think about that uh, glorifying God, you know you can glorify Him in thought. You ever just think about the Lord all day long? It doesn't always have to be a public expression, you know. 
Now, some people get kind of weird that way, and sometimes I guess I suppose uh, you feel uncomfortable because maybe you don't praise the Lord publicly, right? Well, you know, I worship the Lord in private. Yeah, but you're a deadhead the rest of the time, so just praise Him. Every Amen. Praise God, right? Yeah, some of y'all are worried about becoming a charismatic. Trust me, y'all never will become a charismatic. I'm pretty sure you won't. Now, if you be careful. <laughs> but it's not just all outward. Sometimes that outward stuff is easy to fake. You sit in a Bible-believing church long enough, you'll know where to say amen, won't you? <laughs> gotcha. But I'm just saying, you can, you can give him his due admiration just thinking about him. Just think about how good he is. He can read your thoughts. I know you know that. But that thing is not just words. It's thought also. All right, and everything give thanks. So if you don't do it, guess what? Well, you're not in the will of God, aren't you? If you're not giving thanks in everything, you're not in the will of God. And if you don't give thanks in everything, look at verse 19, what you're going to do. You're going to quench the Spirit. You see it? Verse 19, quench not the Spirit. And if you don't do the things contained there in verses 12, go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 and uh, look at a couple of verses here. The things leading up to it, if you, don't, if you don't take time and you don't take heed to those things, you're going to be guilty of quenching the Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, look at verse, uh, look at 12. What's he say there? He says in 12, uh, know them which labor among you. 13, esteem them very highly in love for the work's sake. That has to do with those in ministry, preachers, pastors, teachers, so forth and so on. Uh, 14, exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded instead of giving a hard time, right? Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. We preach enough on patience this morning. Uh, 15, see that none render evil for evil. Amen, you're not trying to be vengeful and get back at people who stabbed you in the back and cussed you and cursed you and all that stuff. A 16, if you're not rejoicing evermore. 17, if you're not doing your all due diligence to pray like Daniel did. Uh, 18, if you're not doing the best you can in everything, give thanks. What's going to happen? You're going to quench the Spirit of God in your life. 19, quench. Now, you ever stop and look at that verse and think, what's, the, what's he mean? He just showed you 12 to 18. You don't busy yourself with those things. Those are the things that you should be doing as a Christian. Amen. My hands in the air should be no You're going to quench the Spirit of God in your life. And that word quench, it just means to cool or to stifle. You ever get in a meeting and it, others, other people seem to be kind of really enjoying it and you're kind of like a bump on a log? Now, it could be you just not feel good, just have a bad day, but it could be you just not thanking the Lord like you should and you just quench the Spirit and the Spirit of God is just real cool on you. You ever come across somebody and they're real cool towards you? Not like, hey, cool, but like not as warm and friendly as they usually are. You know what I'm saying? You ever use the saying, I don't know why they're so cool towards me. Cold, that's what you're trying to say. And when you quench the Spirit of God, it gets cold spiritually. And remember, we're, we're in the fourth, we're right before the fourth watch tonight. Guess what? It really starts to get cold come morning time, don't it? Come the morning time, but what was it this morning? 26 degrees. <laughs> Good grief. Boogers freezing, you walk outside. That You know what I mean? <laughs> but doesn't the Bible say in Revelation, was it chapter 2 or chapter 3 at the end times, the love of many shall wax cold? You know what happens? You stop doing the things that God wants you to do, and you quench the Spirit of God, and He gets cool on you. And that means to cool, to stifle, to quiet, to suppress. You ever sat in a church service or read your Bible and say, I don't understand why my heart's not warm by the pages? 
I don't understand why my heart's not warm in my prayer life like it used to be or like it was at one time. And you try hard to get it back and you just can't seem to take that spark and ignite that thing and get it going again. Could it be that just along the way you quenched the Spirit of God in your personal life? And you're not doing what God told you to do and you didn't realize it and maybe your heart deceived you on a, a level or two and now you want to be close to the Lord and the Lord's like, I'm over in the pasture here. You've got to come over here. I already told you that, but I ain't going to tell you again. And you've got to be careful not to quench the Spirit of God and all those things are quenching it. And he says the will of God, like we said in 18, for you to be thankful in all things. And if you don't be thankful in all things and in everything, you're going to quench the Spirit of God. Now, that's a hard thing, and it's easy to preach, and I got notes, and I know where to uh, put the references to that, but I'm going to tell you what, you get start going through some difficulties in your life, it's hard to thank God for it. You start losing loved ones. You start seeing friends come and go. I mean, you start serving the Lord with people, and they start turning their backs and going, you're going to be thankful for that? You better be, because if not, you're going to quench the Spirit of God, and you don't want that. You don't want that coolness, that subdued spirit. You don't want that thing to be stifled. Amen? I hate to say it, but most Christians are not thankful for where you're at, for where we are, if I could say it like that. Many Christians are always looking for something else. They'll say this, well, I know I'm not what I should be. I need to do a better job at that. And a lot, most Christians are just not thankful for where they're at. Can I just remind you that God's not taking you somewhere, but rather He's trying to make you somebody. You need to get a hold of that tonight. God ain't taking you somewhere. He's trying to make you somebody. And that's why Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, therewith I am content. Paul was content where he was at. And Paul says, no matter where I'm at, I know how to be content. And that's why Paul says in verse 18, give thanks in all things. Be thankful in all things. And then he says in verse 19, quench not the spirit. And I've already said it, but... As a Christian, if you don't take heed to verses 12 through 18, you will definitely quench the Spirit of God. And you don't want that as a Christian. You don't want the Spirit of God cool on you. You don't want to stifle Him. You, don't want, to, you, you want to let that thing burn. We talked about this morning. You want to keep sending up the smoke. Amen? You want to keep your prayer life. You want to keep it fervent. The Bible says in James chapter 5, 16, uh, The fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I mean, you want to let the smoke signals keep being sent up. And uh, think about this. Something you've got to remember as a Christian, not only is he not taking you someplace, but he's making you somebody. He wants to make you somebody right here. And the problem is in the church house is everybody... <clears throat> problem is, is a lot of people think they're already somebody. God's taking me to greener pastures. No, he's not. You're right here. <laughs> he's trying to make you something. He's trying to make something out of you. And I'm telling you, I prayed it here tonight. If without the Holy Spirit of God, we're all just a bunch of wicked, rotten sinners. Amen. You better get a hold of that. And uh, something you got to remember, Christians, if you have good fellowship with Jesus Christ, then you will always, always, always have clear leadership. If you have good fellowship with Jesus Christ, you will always have clear leadership. And if you don't have clear leadership on the matter, you know what's happened? Fellowship's been broken. If you don't have clear leadership on the matter, what you need to do is you need to stop and cultivate your fellowship with Jesus Christ. And too many Christians, what they do is they think they know what God wants them to do and they charge off in that direction. All of a sudden, they don't know what to do and they keep charging. And the Lord stopped 10 yards back, blew the whistle, threw the flag, and you kept running towards the end zone. 
and you've got to learn to stop. You've got to learn to stop, and if you can't see his leadership, if you can't uh, feel his presence, stop and cultivate your fellowship with Jesus Christ. That is the key. Good fellowship always procures absolute leadership of the Holy Spirit. You just got to make sure you're walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, and you won't have to worry at all about quenching the Spirit. Amen? You got to walk with Him every day. The Spirit will not be quenched, and you'll get the leadership that you need. You've heard people say, and I've heard people say on a regular basis, uh, I'm just trying to find the will of God. Well, amen. We preach about this more. I believe the Lord appreciates a man or a woman searching for the will of God, but the Lord appreciates a man who's willing to do it too. You can search it all day long, but if you know it's right to read your Bible and you don't read your Bible, well, I'm just looking for the will of God. He told you what to do. Read that book. And one of the ways you can start off there is you just start off being thankful for where you are at. Now, look, you might be here tonight and you might dislike the place that you're at in life. You might say, uh, I'm, uh, I'm young and I wish I could do this and I wish I could be here. And you might be here and say, well, I'm old and I don't like where I'm at now. Well, you can start by being thankful where you're at. Amen. I don't like where I'm at. Well, thank God that you're somewhere. <laughs> you be thankful for where you're at. Thank, thank, be thankful for what you're doing. And be content with where you are and do what? Wait on the Lord. Just wait. And nobody likes to wait. If you wait on the Lord, He'll give you something to do when He's ready for you to do it. And if you're willing to go, then the Lord will, I believe, if you're willing to go, and do something for him, he'll put you into service when you're ready. Amen? But you know what I found out over the years? Too many Christians are willing to go and do something, but so many of them are not willing not to do it. They're willing to do it. I'm willing to be used. But there's the other side of that coin. If you're willing to be used, then you have to be willing to not to be used. Now, it's a hard lesson to learn, and I'd... Telling you the truth, if I would be lying to you if I told you I learned that overnight. But uh, it took about 15 years before I could even acknowledge that thing. I'm telling you right now, 15 years of sitting under Bible-believing preaching, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek service. That's four services a week, all the special services I could attend, all the Bible reading, all that stuff. It took 15 years before the Lord even let me see that thing. If you see it already, you are, you're light years ahead of me, man. Fifteen years before I could even see it and acknowledge it, but it became even 20 more years before the Lord actually put us in the ministry, and we started praying that thing. We came here in 2015. My wife and I began to pray, Lord, we're willing to be here, and if you want to boot us to the curb, help yourself. And we weren't being sarcastic. We're like, okay, we get it. We're willing to be used, and we're willing to be demoted. And if you're going to be thankful and you're going to be in the will of God, you're going to have to get to a place in your Christian life where you're willing to be used and you're willing to be shelved. You've got to be pliable on that thing. Too many Christians, yes, Lord, I'm willing to be used. And then they've got this idea that I can only be used in this fashion and because of my skill set and my ability, I have to be here. I have to have a platform for greatness so everybody can see how much I've achieved. No, you've got to be willing to be used or willing to be shut down and shut up. Amen. And you've got to be careful about that thing, about orchestrating what you think the will of God is. 
You say, why? Well, you know who else knows uh, what you think the will of God is? The devil. You, know what the, you, you think you know what the will of God is, and the devil thinks he knows what you think the will of God is too. So you've got to be careful about orchestrating that thing. Okay, so God wants you to do this one day. If he wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. You've got to be careful that you don't go out of your way to orchestrate that thing to make it happen. Because the devil will get a hold of that thing. You know what he'll do? He'll make you think God did it. And next thing you know, you'll be one step in front of the Lord. And uh, you'll be shot when it comes to your ministering, although you think you're successful with other people. That's why it's a great danger to uh, judge your spirituality and judge whether or not you think you're in the will of God by whether or not you're successful. I mean, look at Jeremiah. 52 chapters in the book of Jeremiah, not one convert, not one altar call, not one soul saved, if we can say it like that, not one ministry, not one foreign missionary sent to the Congo. You know what I mean? Nothing. Gloom, despair, and misery, the whole book. But boy, I tell you what, that thing, that thing ministers to me even now when I read it. And the Lord thought so much of Jeremiah's ministry that even though it wasn't successful, he put it in the canon of Scripture, and it's inspired. So you'll be shot when it comes to ministering, so you've got to be careful. You say, what are you saying? Just be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful in everything. Quench not the Spirit. Look at verse 20. Despise not prophesying. Another difficult one. Now, I hate to say it, but a lot of Christians don't want to hear about the future. They don't. If you're uh, out of fellowship with the Lord, the last thing you want to know is that he's coming back. Now, that gives you a lot of idea, maybe where the modern-day religion is. A lot of the modern-day religion is what? Once again, it settles on the flesh, doesn't it? It settles on a psychology approach and let me tell you, I believe as a preacher I should try to get better at orating. I believe I should get better at speaking. I should be get better at preaching and trying to draw illustrations and applications that prick the heart and try to help, as the old preacher would say, tie a rag on the bush for that thing. So you can see it because there's nothing better than a, a good message but no illustration. You're like, okay, that was great, but now what do I do with it? But there's nothing, nothing like a good preaching message that... You can end some of them points on a good illustration. You're like, ah, I see it now. I see it. But the world's idea of that stuff is smooth talking and smooth sailings, and a lot of Christians don't want to hear about the future. So all their preaching has to do with man and how man gets along with mankind. And God has so much to do. He wants to bless you. And why? It's just all about man. But you know what? A lot of Christians don't want to hear about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know, I'm a weird duck. I say, get me out of here. I really do. You say, well, what about your family? Well, they're coming with me. <laughs> and we'll all be straightened up in glory, so there'll be no family fighting up there, amen. <laughs> That's why you know all this Star Wars stuff and Star Trek's just a bunch of baloney. You know the Lord is not going to let his universe get like that. Amen? That's just a bunch of baloney is what that is. <laughs> a lot of Christians don't want to hear about the second coming. They don't want to hear about the rapture. And you know what they say? They said this. They said, well, you know, that stuff's not very practical. You know, well, preacher, you know, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. Yeah, whatever. The Bible says keep your eyes on Jesus Christ, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Everywhere you find the second coming of Jesus Christ in the Bible has a practical application either right before it or right behind it. And that's something that should be preached on a regular basis. Now, I didn't set this thing up so I could say, look, what a great job, what a great little preacher you have, but I tried to put the second coming of Jesus Christ in the aspect I put the great white throne in this morning. You see, that message today went from a saved application right to the end, switched that thing to just what, what you say, what were you doing, trying to fish? Because I know we think everyone's saved and everyone's born again, but I'll tell you what, in a, in a group of people, 40, 50, or 60 people, you're bound to have one lost soul in there struggling with whether or not they're saved. And you put them in front of the second coming of Jesus Christ in this situation this morning, you put them in front of the great white throne judgment and hang them right over hell, <laughs> and maybe they'll get it that time. And as a Christian, can I say this in reference to despise not prophesying? You ought to enjoy preaching. Amen. You say that's self-serving. No, I'm not talking about just my preaching, even though I'm the preacher God gave you right now. Amen. But you ought to enjoy preaching. Can I say this? You ought to enjoy teaching. I mean Bible teaching and Bible preaching, not this, uh, not this baloney stuff that's out there and making you feel good. And you ought to enjoy preaching and teaching over working outside. Well, I didn't get any amens on that. Wow. We're in, a, we're in trouble, man. You ought to enjoy preaching and teaching over knitting. <laughs> the men said amen on that. <laughs> well, let me, I'm going to work on this. Hang on. You ought to enjoy preaching and teaching over karate. You ought to enjoy it over television. Amen? Your favorite series. You ought to enjoy... I mean, if it comes between coming to church and watching whatever's happening now, you ought to say, I'm going to church. I ain't going to sit home. If it's that important to you, you can set the whatever. It used to be the VCR, but no one has a VCR. It's a DVR, right? You set that dumb thing, and you record it, and you watch it later. But you ought to enjoy preaching and teaching over television. You know, you ought to enjoy preaching and teaching over any kind of outdoor recreation. Let me tell you what, God made me to work. I'm a working man, and I love to get outside, and I love to feel the the cool autumn air in my lungs, and I love to, you know, get out there and feel what little muscles I have left out there and use them, and I like to labor, and I like to sweat. I know some of y'all don't sweat, but, man, there ain't nothing. Now, the first sweat of the day is kind of rough, you know, amen, about 80 degrees, and you start sweating, but after you sweat and get a good sweat going, that just feels good to me. I might be a little weird, but I like to sweat, but you know what? I sure would rather hear preaching than I would cut wood. And some of you don't understand how much I like to cut wood. <laughs> I was working on the final prep of the, uh, of the sermon uh, this morning, and I just, I get antsy sitting in that chair. And you say, why? Because I had a saw out in the shed that the chain needed some attention. And I'm just wired that way. And the boys are out there. When they're out in the shed, I want to be out there too. You say, well, I'm weird that way. Whatever. Don't judge me. Amen. <laughs> So I get up, and I finished that thought, and I went out there. I took a half hour. My wife's like, where'd you go? I sharpened a chain. Got behind that big old 30-whatever, two-inch bar, and just file shavings flying. Say, what is that? Therapy. Why? I'm a working man. But I'll tell you what, if my preacher was on, I'd sit down and listen to him before I'd sharpen a saw. I'm just saying, Paul says, despise not prophesying. Do you love preaching? Do you love teaching? All right, will you drive 60 minutes to hear it? I'm going to get after you for a second. Stay with me now. Don't shut me off. 
If one of the preachers that I love and you love 60 miles from here, you're going to go listen to him? You ought to. Brother Lambert has a meeting over there in Gladwin. You ought to go over there. Well, you know, it's a long way. Oh, stop it, man. I believe the Lord keeps track of every mile, every penny you spend on him, every tire you change, every oil change you change, and every, God keeps track of that all. Do you love preaching or do you maybe despise it a little? And Christians today, I hate to say it, and I know you know this stuff, and you're the exception to the rule because you're here tonight. I'm not getting after you. I just challenge you a little bit. Christians today would rather have an exhibit for the flesh than to get together around preaching and teaching. I know this. I've learned this. Uh, we've learned this over the years. The Lord's had us here eight years. If we, uh, if we have an event, we don't have a whole lot of events, but the ones we do, we try to do right, amen, try to plan them and all that stuff. But if we have an event... Uh, for example, you get that harvest. That's a, that thing's a blast. Uh, it's just, it's just, I enjoy it. But some people, when we first started coming here, man, we'd have big turnouts for that thing. It just, pack, you know, pack it out. And man, you meet people you never saw before. Yeah, I've been going to church here ten years. Really, I've never seen you. And I'm the pastor, you know. <laughs> and everyone come, the, you know, you know, their family and their brother and their mother and their dog and their cat and all the rest of that thing. Say, what are you saying? You get people around so much church, eventually they fall out. I'm not getting on them. I'm saying this. Listen, if there's two times a week that someone comes to church and you have a third outing between the second time they go to church, they're not going to be there on that third out that time. You see what I mean? I'm just saying this generation has geared themselves and has taught themselves that they can only be at church so often. Let me tell you what. My Bible says, forsake not the assembling yourselves together as the manner of some is and exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. You say, well, you're a pastor. Uh, you ought to say that. That's the way I was before I ever thought about being a pastor. Let me tell you what, I never, ever thought about being a pastor. I was my father-in-law's associate for almost 17 years, and not one time in 17 years did I go, hey, one day I'm going to be a pastor. And I think that's why it worked. All I wanted to do is help that old man get behind him and push, be like an Aaron or be like a her. Because like, I saw what he did, I'm like, ain't no way in Mars I'll ever be able to do that. But I can, I can run the sound room. I can paint that dumb sign down by the tabernacle there. I can do that. I'm an Aaron over here or her, right? Uh, I can work with young people. Here you go. He come up to me, what wife and I had been married, I don't know, very long, not very long at all. I'm not bitter about it either. He says, hey, will you work with the young people? And I'm thinking, hey, preacher asked me. I found out later the reason he asked me because I married his daughter. And he knew that she'd keep me in line, amen? So I said, sure. He's like, you ain't going to pray about it. I said, what's there to pray about? You need help. So I helped him. Say, what'd you do? We worked with the young people for 18 years from there. Say, well, he's the world's greatest youth leader. I doubt it. Don't ask the Vanderbilt. Women. <laughs> what a mess, man. You say, what are you saying? Do you despise prophesying? Do you despise preaching? You see what I mean? Look at verse 21. The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Now, from 1 John, the apostle John, he tells you to try the spirits. You ever come across that verse? That's the weirdest verse. I didn't write that down. I wrote the book down, but I forgot to write the verse down. If anybody knows that, let me know. I think it's 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 maybe, if I'm guessing right. Look at that thing out. Is it 4-1? Oh, good guess. <laughs> Whew. Amen. 
You know, even a wrong clock's right twice a, twice a day, amen? All right, John, First John chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says, Beloved, believe not every spirit. That's a good verse. But try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Look what he says in verse 2. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already it's in the world. All right, John tells you to prove all things. You ever get some, uh, some idea in your head you think the Lord put it there? You ever just try the spirit? You say, how do you do that? You say this, all right, Lord, that thought just come to my head. Does that spirit confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? And you wait. And then you get another thought. All right, that thought that just came to mind, does that spirit confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? You say, what are you doing? You're trying it out. A lot of people, they hear one thing and they run with it. You got to try the spirits. You can't act upon every initial thought. You got to try it out. And Paul says, he says, you got to prove that which is good. Uh, prove all things, he says. Hold fast that which is good. Prove all things. You say, how do you prove it? You prove it by the book. You measure it by the book. The foundation is the book. Amen. Everything that we're here for today, it's founded upon a book. Not an opinion, not a preference, not a platitude, and all the rest of that stuff. If it doesn't line up with the King James Bible, rightly divided and practically applied, then it's not right. And if you find something that works, you know what Paul says? Hold on to it. Hold on to it. You ever find something that works? I think about, I think about the old, old golden arches. That old fellow Ray Kroc, he found something that worked, man. People drive hither and yon to buy a burger. And the system works, whether or not they made it right for you or not. Right? And we're talking about something greater than a burger. We're talking about your spiritual life. He says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And uh, if you find something that works, and Paul says, hold on to it. You say, why? Well, you know what apostasy is, don't you? Apostasy is falling from a standing state. Apostasy is falling from a standing position. And you know what happens? So many Christians get started the right way. They do. They get the right start. So many Christians want to do things the way God wants them, and they wouldn't depart from that book for nothing in the world. They wouldn't. And they get started right, and you know what happens? Then they get tired of it. They get tired of it. Why? Because it doesn't happen as fast as they want it to. You got to, you got to listen here for a second. You got to be careful. If it works, you got to hold on to it. But it's not going the way I thought. Well, maybe that's a blessing. You ever stop and think the devil just wants to convince you that things should go faster and you should be successful and it should go this way and it go this way? And the Lord's like, no, I'm going to lock the brakes up for the next 10 years and you're going to lay a line of black rubber right across that highway and no one is ever going to think anything's going to happen over there. And in my time, I'm going to flip the switch on it. Because if you could, uh, you could orchestrate the thing, then you'd try to take credit for it. And what happens is people get tired of it. It doesn't happen as fast as they want it. They don't get the position they wanted to. Amen. I've seen people come and go. I'm not bragging. I'm just, I hate it. People come and go. Why? Didn't get the position they wanted. I dealt with a fellow not too long ago, and, and he was an oddball for sure, and came in here and tried to tell me I need to do this, that, and the other, and this brother knows what I'm talking about. 
And I'm going, you're kidding me. This guy's not even a member of church. He wants to come in here and tell me as a pastor. This guy's not even called to preach. He wants to tell me how to run a church. Say, so what would you do? I ran him out. Amen. That's why God called me to be a pastor, not some other people. Amen. Why? He didn't get the position he wanted. He wanted to waltz in here, not even be a member. You know what y'all have in here tonight? You have sweat equity in this church. You got skin in the game. You're givers. You support me. You support this church. You support the ministry. You support my family. And you think I'm going to let some joker walk in off the street and tell me how we're going to run this joint? You're nuts. He wanted a position. He wanted recognition. What would you say? Goodbye, not going to happen. But people get started, right? And then they quit. They get tired of it. They don't get, they don't get the power as quick as they thought. I honestly thought that uh, when I came here, I, I don't really know what to think. I, this place was such a mess when we came here, and the Lord has given us an entire new body of people. What a blessing, amen? <laughs> I came in here, and I just figured we, they would just kick us out in about you know six months, and the Lord kicked everyone out but us. And we're, we're, Sundays, I'm praying, Lord, just, just kick me out. And he's like, shut up and preach. I'm lying, I'm dying. <laughs> But people don't get the position they want. The people don't get the power as quick as they want. And people don't get the preeminence as quick as they want. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, they think all these things that God initially told them to do has changed. God doesn't change. And the next thing you know, they turn loose of that which is good and they grab a hold of anything else that will get them what their flesh wants. You've got to watch that. You've got to prove all things. You've got to hold fast that which is good. So think with me for a moment, Christian, in your Christian life, in the local church, no matter how slow it moves, you've got to find out what works. And this King James Bible of 1611, it works. You don't change it, you hold on to it. Amen? You don't turn it loose. You don't get rid of the King James Bible. You don't get rid of the hymn books. You don't bring in the contemporary stuff. You don't take the world's methods of doing business and bring them into the house of God. You just, you're like that old preacher down in Pensacola who's hanging on to the, the brake on the caboose and sparks are flying and the whole realm of Christianity is going right just like the world is but he's just back there holding it like that and he don't care if you're laughing at him or not. You hang on to it. If it works, it works. Now look at Proverbs chapter 23. I'll show you a real good practical thing here. Now, the old-timers knew how to make things work. And us young guys coming up, we think because we got ourselves a little piece of paper and a college degree, and I got a handful of them, but they haven't mattered much. Uh, but I think we just make more problems with our degrees. You say, oh, you're just hard on yourself. No, I know better now. One old preacher said, those of us without a college education, we just got to use our head. He says in Proverbs 23, 23, buy the truth and sell it not. You see that? You know what Solomon's saying? The truth is going to cost you something. Hasn't the truth cost you something here tonight? Hasn't it cost you family? Hasn't it cost you friends? Hasn't it cost you finances? Been passed over for a promotion or two? 
uh, because of your availability, you won't work Sundays, you won't work Wednesdays, that stuff's going to happen. And Solomon says, buy the truth and sell it now. Also wisdom and instruction and all that stuff uh, is going to cost you something. And Paul says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Uh, look, I'll show you another one, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, the apostle John's uh, noticing and witnessing the angel of the Lord here uh, speaking to the church at Laodicea. And notice what he says to our church time, our church period. The time period that you and I are in right now, he says to that church at Laodicea, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You say, what's that? That's you putting up stuff for the judgment seat of Christ. That's you doing something for Jesus Christ that goes all the way through that's going to last. You say, well, I built me a really nice house. Praise the Lord. Glad you did. But your house ain't going to go through the judgment seat of Christ. And I hope you have a good one and a nice one. And, you know, and you can fool the insurance company not to charge you so much. Amen. But the fact is, you've got to find out what works and hang on to it. And he says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You know why I said that? Because all those in Laodicea, they think they're rich, but they're poor. They're poor, blind, miserable, and naked. And uh, then he says this, <clears throat> that thou mayest be rich. Now what's next? And white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. You know what that is? Now that's your personal body of personal righteousness that you begin to knit the moment you get saved. And you stand before the Lord Jesus Christ building that personal body of, of righteousness with just all the good works that you do with the right motive. So when you stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, you're not naked as a jaber, and you find that in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5. You say, what do you mean? That means some Christians are going to be standing before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, naked as a jaybird. You see it right in the passage, that thy nakedness do not appear. Well, I never knew that. Yeah. You say, what is that? Get busy for Jesus Christ. Some Christians are going to stand before the Lord. They're not going to have nothing on. Well, no matter how slow it moves in your Christian life, no matter how slow it moves in the ministry, you've got to find out what works. and You've got to hold on to this King James Bible. You don't change it. You don't turn it loose. No matter how slow it goes, and if you go by Pauline doctrine, you and I are going to have to go by the things by the way Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you stick with that. Listen, it doesn't matter if we get so big, we actually have to build here. I've told myself when we came here, oh, we'll never have to build. Wouldn't that be something if we did one day? I sure hope we're out of here by then, man. Can you imagine trying to add on to this whole thing? Say, which way would you go? I don't know, probably that way. But what if, what if, what if we never grow a single member? Say, what do you do? Stick with it. Hold fast that which is good. You don't change your methods because you don't get the results that you think you ought to have. And listen, I know that pressure is always going to be there, amen? I want you to consider tonight that when you look at your Christian life and where you think you're at, and you look at the ministry that the Lord's allowed us to be a part of here, just consider that the Lord's not ready for it to grow yet. Are you willing to look at that? See, the world says bigger, better, faster, stronger, more money, more investment. Oh, it's got to keep going, keep going. You ever just stop and think the Lord's not ready for it to grow yet? That's the other side of that coin. Remember, being willing to go and be willing to say, two sides of that coin. You ever consider the Lord's not ready for this thing to, to grow yet? 
You ever stop and think the Lord's working on people outside here? I mean, there's a couple people sitting here tonight. One doesn't live but maybe a mile from here. The Lord was working on that individual and brought them over to us. You see what I mean? And then another one. You know what the Lord's doing? He's developing people. And if this place doesn't grow as fast as you think it does, it don't mean nothing. But I know people will judge the, the successfulness of uh, my work here by how many people we have. That's how they're going to judge it. You say, what do you think? I don't even care about it. I'll get up and preach. I'll preach the same way to two people as I will 200. You know me. I will. I'll prepare just as long. We'll have special music. You know, we'll have dinner on the grounds if we need to. I'm not going to cut it out just because we got two people, you know. But they'll judge my ministry here by how many people we have. They'll judge, other brethren will judge our ministry by how many people, how many people you get saved, brother. Well, I don't know if anybody got saved. We sure got some people happy in the Lord growing. So how do you know they're growing? Because they keep coming back. <laughs> amen. You're going to put up with my preaching. You've got to be growing. Amen. And they'll say this, well, how many people you baptized this year? And I'm thinking, hopefully not too many because that water's kind of gross looking, amen? And they'll say this, well, how many ministries you got? And I'm like, as few as possible. <laughs> Why? What a mess, man. I've heard it a hundred times. You know what you do? You just do what God told you to do. That's it. Let me ask you this. Are you doing what God wants you to do? And that's all that matters. Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good, he says. And don't be judged by anything else. And as a preacher, i got to do what God tells me. Look at verse 22. He says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Again, a tough verse. Dr. Ruckman used to say this. Don't stop to tie your shoes if you're in your neighborhood, neighbor's watermelon patch. <laughs> abstain from all appearance of evil. And that's the gist of the verse. It's self-explanatory. And you've got you to gotta realize, again, this thing ties back in, that grace, since you and I are under grace, it holds us to a higher standard than the law ever did. Grace holds you to a higher standard. We have a greater gospel. We have a greater responsibility. He's given us the Holy Spirit. We have a greater message. We have a greater Savior, a greater high priest, and a greater standard. And in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 2, I know you know this, but it's grace that teaches us some things. Amen? He says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And that's what grace teaches you. You know what grace is teaching you? The importance of spiritual things over profane things. The importance of spiritual things over worldly things. It's going to teach you how to live right. And you ought to live better than all those people that lived under Phariseeism. Amen? You ought to live better than the people the, that lived under the law. They were living in fear and trepidation. You, you get to live because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And you have liberty to serve the Lord Jesus Christ the way you believe the Lord would have you do it. You say, what about all this preaching? I've got to do this and I've got to do that. You know, I've got to do nothing. So don't take me wrong. I didn't say you shouldn't do anything. I said you don't have, it's not a requirement to stay safe for you to do a cotton-picking thing. But you and I ought to live better than all those people that lived under law. And you're under grace. And you ought to do it. Why? Well, it pleases the Lord Jesus Christ when you do it. 
Verse 23 says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Verse 23, the Bible says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That thing about sanctification popping up again at the end of the book. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body, you see, there it is, you're a tripart being, body, soul, spirit, be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, notice this is blameless, not sinless. You ain't going to be sinless till you get to glory, amen? Even on your best day, you're still not going to be sinless. But you can be blameless the best you can, can't you? You can do the best you can to be blameless. Not only that, but man's a body, soul, and spirit. And I know you know this, but he's, he's preserved. And uh, as far as uh, old canning fruit's concerned, until the owner opens it up, you're sealed into the day of redemption. Amen? You're sealed. But you need to realize also that you keep your body blameless. How? Well, you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 real quick. We're on the home stretch. We've done just a minute or two. How in the world am I going to keep my body blameless? We preached about it this morning. You're going to rule it. You're going to rule it. You're going to keep it under subject, uh, subjection, the Bible says. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24. You want to keep your body blameless? You're going to have to put it under control, put it under subjection. You know, we're coming upon a time of year when everyone just totally cuts loose with eating. You know, all your caution is thrown to... Don't get upset with me. I'm just, I'll touch it and move on, right? You know, and, and there's, you know, you know, six gallons of pumpkin pie and whipped cream and all that stuff. And, and then you go right from there into Christmas, and by the time Christmas gets here, you're like, man, i got to buy new clothes, man. <laughs> but you know what Paul says? If you're going to live for the Lord and you're going to live the Christian life, you've got to put your body into subjection. You have to tell it what to do instead of let all your family tell it what to do. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. All right, in Christian life, you need to run like you're going after something. He says, And every man that strive for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Of course, you know that's found at the judgment seat of Christ, right? I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Paul's like, look, I'm not a shadow boxer. I'm not just huffing and the puffing and the bebopping and just punching, punching nothing. He says, when I punch, something's going to land. Amen. When you go across this earth, you ought to make a stomp with every step so that when you're out of here, they knew you were here for Jesus Christ. That means you did something for the Lord. But look at 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into what? Subjection. Lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. And Paul talks about keeping his body under subjection. You keep it down. Why? The flesh loves to rise up. And it's easy to strengthen the flesh. And Paul says keep it down. Step on it. Keep it down. Control it. Self-control, right? And if you can't keep it down, what do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You claim the atonement. Didn't, don't you have a sacrifice for your sins at Calvary? If you can't keep your body under control, you better plead the blood of Jesus Christ and claim the atonement, the sacrifice for your sins. You better get on your face with the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I can't control my flesh. This thing is like a big gorilla and the cage is wide open. I need your help and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ and I plead the atonement for my sins. I need help. And you got to keep that thing under subjection. Why? It's a fight. And you have an atonement for your sin. And when you mess up, what do you do? Well, you confess up and then you get up. And you go up. And anything you confess, when God reveals it to you, that will keep you clean. Amen? That's why you've got to keep that short sin account. And then uh, finally you discipline your mind. I'll show you one last thing here. Philippians chapter 4. You keep your body in a subjection. 
And then you've got to keep your mind in subjection. Philippians 4, one of the biggest terrors of the Christian right now is mind, all the troubles in your mind. You ever stop and think about this last week, what tripped you up and stressed you out? For the most part, was probably things that never even happened yet. <laughs> you sit there and worry and fuss and you get all worried about things that never happened. What's going to happen if, and then it never happens, and your blood pressure just like went crazy for half the day and it never happened? But Paul knows this thing in Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 8. He tells you, he says, look, uh, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. You see that? That's why I struggle with that idiot box. I said, me, you do what you want. I look at that list, I'm like, man, it's slim to none in that idiot box. Is it true? Pfft, hardly. Is it pure? Hardly ever. You know, unless it's Ma and Pa Kettle or some dumb thing like that, and then you don't want to watch it. Mutual of Omaha or something, not even on anymore. What sort of things of good report? Well, that you got to kick the news out. Yeah? Think on these things. So Paul tells you how to keep your body in subjection. He tells you what to think on. Man, that's a blessing. Two of the hardest things you and I face right there, he tells us how to handle it. You've got to rule your flesh, and you've got to think on the right things. Well, let's bring this thing to a close. Verse 24, the Bible says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Of course, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, we know that faithful and true is his name. Faithful and true is his name. He is faithful. The Bible says, let God be true. Every man a liar, Romans chapter 3, verse 4. You know what? We lie every day. Amen. You lie, I lie. We say we believe the Bible. We believe the book, and we say we do the best we can, and we know good and well that that ain't true. Amen? You don't do that every single day. We all depart from him on a regular basis, if you're honest. If you want to live in fairy tale land, help yourself. But we all depart from the book. And you need to do a checkup. You say, why? Well, I read my Bible in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. The Apostle John says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man, you just can't get away from that stuff. And we lie all the time and we say we love him and we're going to be faithful and we depart from that book. And you've got to do a checkup. You've got to be careful about getting that self-righteous spirit, especially when you start learning the Bible and think you know something. Amen. But thank the Lord that Jesus Christ abides faithful even when we don't. Look at verse 25. Verse 25. The Bible says, brethren, pray for us. And what Paul's doing is he's just asking prayer from other people. Can I tell you this? You ought to ask prayer from other people. Amen. That's a good thing. Paul's asking prayer from the brethren. Brethren, pray for us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, he asks for a specific prayer. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Now, that whole prayer about the Lord, uh, the word having free course, we ought to pray that every time we're together. You ought to, if you're a Sunday school teacher or children's church, and prepare, you ought to pray that with, with your students, with your people. Lord, let the word have free course. Let there be liberty in the teaching and the preaching. You ought to pray that on a regular basis so that the Word of God might go freely when it's preached and taught and tracts are handed out and visits are made. Verse 26, greet all brethren with a holy kiss. So a cultural thing shows up here. 
And you can't hardly do that thing anymore for appearance's sake. Now on a, on a light-hearted note, and I'm, I'm just about done here. When we first started coming here in 2014, all the men were kissing all the women right here. It just made me about ill. And I said from the pulpit, I said, you kiss my wife, I'll punch you. So they, they didn't try to kiss her, amen? <laughs> amen? Don't be kissing my wife. Remember, my lips, not yours. <laughs> and back, in the, back in the days, even, even now in Eastern culture, it was more common uh, for them to greet each other with a kiss on the cheek. That's kind of funny, amen? Men to men, I'm talking about, and women to women. And uh, it wasn't considered inordinate or queer, but it most definitely would be considered that way in America. You've got to realize where you're living. You're not living in the 1950s America. You're living in 2020s America. You know, land of the free, home of the gays. I'm telling you straight now. <laughs> and you can't hardly do that thing. So what that is, that's a cultural thing. So we shake hands. <laughs> and post-COVID, we shake it cautiously, and then we go bathe in uh, hand sanitizer. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Verse 27, he says, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Amen. Hasn't it been a blessing to go through this book? And you know where you got it? You got it in church. Amen. All right, so Paul's given the command, a charge to read everything in this epistle to help him out. And in verse 28, Paul's typical closing out, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And listen, Christian, you're going to need his grace from Titus 2, 11 to 12 to do what Paul has asked you to do because he has asked us to do quite a bit. And those aren't options. Those are commands that Paul has given us. And I challenge you and charge you and try to cheer you up here. And study those verses 12 to 27. They'll help you in your walk with the Lord. And remember, your fellowship is always key. All right, let's stand.